This is the Insulone podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, we are so on top of it. We have tech. We have like, I want to know what my blood sugar is at all times. I'm going to check my blood sugar extra. I'm in a diabetes group. I'm listening to a diabetes podcast. You know, <laughs> I bought a diabetes t-shirt. Like, yeah. damn, you are committed to this. What about your mental health? What are you doing there? But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. How's it going? And welcome back to the Insulone podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another episode. I'm always greatly honored that you come here every single week to better your own management and to take action, most importantly, on improving your diabetes management consistently. If this is your first ever episode, again, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. And what an episode you've joined us for, because the guest that I have today is Mr. Chris Rudin. I'm sure you have heard about him before. If you haven't, you've probably been living under a rock. He, he is a motivational speaker. He is a multiple business owner. He's a coach. He's a bodybuilder. He's a diabetes advocate. He works with incredible companies and brands with unbelievable campaigns. He was a contestant on NBC Titan Games. He's been featured on People Magazine. He is a model. There's few things Chris doesn't do. And he is one of the best in the business when it comes to mindset and perspective and outlook and ultimately using what card you have been dealt in your life to your advantage. How can you take something that seems on the surface to be negative and turn it into a positive? He is an incredible person to hear from and I know you're going to enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. So chat to you shortly. Enjoy. So Chris, like as you can see, today the conversation that we're having is in a slightly different environment. Um, and for anybody who might not know, me and Chris, well, you probably don't know, but me and, <laughs> me and Chris met in New York last week, had some dinner, had a couple of drinks, and we spoke about all things diabetes, fitness, training, business, all sorts of stuff. And before I met Chris, I met, met him a couple of times before, but Chris is always somebody who I'm like, how does he find the time to do all of the things that he does? So that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask when we had dinner. But soon after the dinner started, Chris was t- talking about, I'm doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this and more plans for 2023, which amazed me even more. So Chris, the first question I have for you is, where do you find the time to do everything that you do? Because I have a list in front of me, motivational speaker, multiple business owner, coach, bodybuilder, diabetes advocate, you've brand partnerships, you were a contestant on Titan Games, featured on People Magazine, you're a model, you do everything. Like, where, do you, where do you find the time? It's, it's really funny because hearing all that stuff, I'm like, wow, that's exhausting. And I'm like, wait, that's me. Um, <laughs> I think I was so like, committed to trying to build my business, my brand, myself, that I didn't give myself another option. I was like, okay, for this to work, I have to take every opportunity that aligns with my mission, my brand, and a lot of opportunities came up regarding modeling around clothing for people with disabilities or consulting for diabetes companies or 
consulting for other companies then speaking and then a book and all of this stuff was happening. But I realized like, okay, it's all related. So to me, it's all in the same bucket, if that makes sense. And there are times where you have to decide. But at the end of the day, I was like, I don't have to do this stuff. I get to do this stuff. And it's really easy to make time for things that you appreciate and you enjoy and you know aligns like with your end goal. You know, if someone was like, hey, you're going to have a busy day today. You're going to have to go collect money from here, here and here. You're going to go have to eat food, really good food from here, here and here. And you're going to have to hang out with friends here, here and here. And you're like, all of that sounds amazing. I'd love (laughs) to be busy with enjoyment. I just I enjoy the mission because I know where I came from and. I know how hard I struggled and how many other people in my life and my family struggled to not have the life that they want. I'm super fortunate to be able to have impact in these different areas. So busyness, yes, but at the same time, effectiveness and impact over everything. And I think it's clear to see with pretty much everything that you do, you are just so quick to implement and you work so hard and it's like you have an idea and then a week later, the idea has come to fruition or the idea has actually started taking place. But something you mentioned there in terms of how you know where you come from, can I ask, like, where have you come from? So, and that's that's a side I don't talk about too often uh, just because social media sees the highlight reel, you know? We post our best stuff. You're not going to post your your ugly photos. And if you do, I mean, you you post some funny funny ass photos <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> um, I think it's important to let people know like, Hey, just cause you see close to the finish line now, uh, it doesn't mean there wasn't a whole race you didn't see before. Just most people aren't interested in starting. No one is interested in hearing someone say I started something. They're like, okay, but did you do it? Did you commit to it? Did it work? We kind of, as a society are addicted to the end, the end goal, you know? And a lot of people want to hang out at the finish line without running the race. I felt like I ran the race by, I was born into a family that we didn't have money. You know, we had to go to the church for food. We had to get help from the government. We had to get help from other friends and family. Like there was a lot of stuff we had to work through financially. Uh, My parents had to work a lot. So they weren't really around, you know, family issues with uh, substances and a lot of stuff. And I'm not unique in that, but it's definitely tough. And growing up with a disability on top of it, I had to find my way. A lot of people are like, oh, how'd you know what you wanted to do? Oh, I more so knew what I didn't want to do. I It was a process of elimination for me. I knew I didn't want that life. I knew I wanted to do something else. I knew I wanted a little bit more and safety or security alone didn't do it for me because I'm like, I want more out of life than just getting by. Because I saw so many people in my younger life getting by and they were so unhappy. They, they got by, they made it, but did they make it, you know? And I applied that to everything from lifting to diabetes management to, I don't want to just get by. I don't want to be okay. You know, when someone asks like, how are you doing? How's your life? They're like, eh, it's all right. To me, that's, that's unacceptable because that means we could do a little bit more. We could, we could increase it a little bit more. Quality of life is a hundred percent my mission now in my business, in my personal life, professional, everything, quality of life. And a lot of people will say, well, you can't just focus on being happy all the time. I agree. 
happiness is not all the time, but learning to appreciate contentment and not vilify contentment. How can I be content in efforts to be happy in little moments while not being miserable? And a lot of times, if you ask yourself that, you're like, oh, I can do some things a little bit differently to appeal to that mindset. It took me a long time to develop that, but going from where I was in my family to where I am now, a lot had to change. So it sounds as if the sort of ambition that you have and the drive that you have to essentially live the life that you live comes from a place of avoidance in the sense that from what you saw around you, you knew straight away, this is not what I want. As opposed to somebody maybe seeing people around them aspiring to be like them, you almost aspired to be unlike them. And that's a really good way to put it. Um, One of the hardest questions I always get asked, it's the conventional question, you know, who do you look up to? And I could never really answer that. And the only time I do answer that, I look up to the kids that I've spoke to in the past that I've helped them kind of work through their own issues mentally on accepting themselves or seeing potential in themselves. Because what motivates me the most is for me, that broken kid that I was and seeing potential other kids who break through that barrier themselves. That's so like motivational for me. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing guys and girls who are super successful entrepreneurs or uh, diabetes educators or anyone in that regard. It's very impressive, but it doesn't motivate me the same way as where I was and what I don't want to become. One of the things that stands out to me with you, Chris, and we kind of touched on it on one of the previous episodes that we did was your self-awareness of how you feel and almost what you expect or how you expect to feel. And you mentioned it a couple of times there and just in terms of like contentment and the fact that for someone to be content, you almost need to acknowledge and accept the fact that you're not going to be happy and content all of the time because, because that's just, that's just part of life. But have you found that you find yourself happier because you're aware of the fact that you can't be happy all the time. As in, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly, but like when you have a bad day or when you're in a bad mood or when you're in foul humor and you're not happy at all, like, do you find it easier to see that kind of spark of happiness because you're aware of the fact that you can't be happy all the time? Yeah, I love that you brought that up because... I've talked about contentment before and people say, if you're content, you're settling, you know, there's all kinds of that. It's almost like with diabetes, like a hundred blood sugar or nothing, you know, if it's not a perfect (laughs) unicorn blood sugar, then it's terrible. And it's like, let me hit you with this. And this is probably the most important thing you're going to hear on this entire talk. The pursuit of happiness or the desire for happiness is a negative experience. Let me say that again. The desire for happiness is a negative experience. Wanting something you don't have is a negative experience. It's the carrot on the stick mentality where you're chasing something you don't have. You're reminding yourself that you don't currently have it. And it's almost this conditional state of if I get happiness, then I will feel better versus being content in the moment, understanding the dynamicness of life. Blood sugars are not perfect. If, if you looked even on an EKG or a echocardiogram and you looked and you just wanted this perfect steady life, that means you're dead. 
Mm-hmm. That's a flat line. The, the rhythm of life is up and down. The rhythm of blood sugars is up and down. A non-diabetic still has up and down. It is not a flat line. Mm-hmm. So to expect happiness, a flat line, is to expect death. That's the only way you could have pure steadiness. You know, so when you look at contentment, it's saying, hey, I didn't just win a marathon. That's like pure happiness. I just did something, you know, Mm. but I also didn't just like lose everything I own. There's a space that exists that allows us to be content in the moment, every moment in a negative moment, like you're saying, or a bad day. That's not going to last forever, even though we convince ourselves that it will. We have this internal narrative that a bad blood sugar, a bad moment. Even a bad A1C, I even hate the term bad because it's <laughs> relative. You know, there's no yeah. such thing as bad or good numbers. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean it's going to exist forever. But somehow when we experience these negative things, we convince ourselves that this is who we are, not this is what happened. Yet when we experience a good blood sugar or something good, we say it's a passing moment. Why can we say something so, why can we minimize our positive experiences and maximize our negative experiences? It's the ability to reframe narratives. And when I learned that I had power to reframe narratives, I was like, man, I need to share this with other people. And that's what fueled my entire career. Another thing that relates to that, and it was actually something that you had said again on our previous podcast that has stuck with me personally. And even when Graham was editing the last episode that we did, he was like, that episode was just so good. Like just your perspective and your your approach towards things. But what you said on the last episode that stood out to me was a bad moment is only a tiny percentage of your day. And it's like when somebody says, I've had a bad day, you basically articulated the fact that, well, you considering a bad day as an entire 24-hour period was likely just a tiny speck or a tiny percentage of that day, but you allow that to dictate your emotion and your response and your reaction for the rest of the day. That's the question I want to pose to people is, let's say three bad things happen and you consider that a bad day. If three good things happen, do you also consider that a great day or you say, oh, it was only three good things? It's crazy how we will minimize the good stuff, but we, we give so much effort to the bad stuff. You had three bad things that, let's be real, you probably had like an email that annoyed you, a blood sugar that went south, and then uh, maybe your TV show got canceled. In total, that was like five minutes worth of bad stuff versus 24 hours of potential good stuff. And it, people, again, I will say it again. People will be like, oh, it still sucks. I'm not invalidating the fact that you were mad or upset or frustrated in those moments because that's the truth. Let's remove emotion. Yes, you were frustrated in those moments, but the second you continue that frustration outside of those moments, that's your responsibility. Hmm. Bring it to blood sugar. The second you check your blood sugar, whether it's on a CGM or however you check your blood sugar and you see a higher number than usual, that moment is done. It's higher deal with it. And that's it. That's where it stops. But if you choose to take that number that is very momentary and continue the story, that is you continuing the story and not your blood sugar continuing the story. Because I promise you, blood sugars cannot tell stories, but we can. Mm. 100%. I couldn't agree with that more. And that's something that I constantly just drill into this podcast. It's like, 
regardless of how quote unquote good or bad you feel your diabetes management is or isn't, inevitably you're going to have highs and lows. That's just part of the condition. And it's like, if you give those highs and lows power over how you feel, then essentially it's your responsibility. Notice how you said that. And I love that you said that. You didn't say the blood sugar takes power over you. You said, if you give it, mm. it is a choice. And the, the worst part is we, we practice and we get good at things. So if you continually give that choice of empowering a negative blood sugar, you get good at it. And then it becomes subconscious. So then it seems like it's automatic. It's not automatic. It's just a process that you have developed and refined. It's the same thing as if I taught you to play catch and you catch a ball and you get really good at catching a ball. I could be talking to you randomly, throw you a ball and you would catch it Mm. because you've conditioned that. But if I threw that ball in the opposite direction towards your other hand, you probably wouldn't catch it as fast because you didn't condition that response. We condition specific responses. And all I ask people to do is check your conditioning, check the responses you've conditioned and ask yourself, are these conditioned responses helping me or hurting me? You'll learn a lot. So how can somebody go about conditioning their mind? You know, and the majority of people listening to this podcast will likely live with type 1 diabetes, will likely be exposed to the potential emotional reactions that can come with high and low blood sugars. So when it comes to conditioning your mind to avoid giving that high or low blood sugar power over how you feel, like, are there certain steps people can follow? Are there certain approaches people can can take? Are there certain things that we can say so that we don't have or have less of these emotional reactions? The have less of is important because I'm, again, I speak all around the, the country, sometimes around the world. I still have my moments where I freak out and that's okay. I'm allowed to freak out. I'm allowed to curse. I'm allowed to like get angry. I'm allowed to have bad blood sugars. I'm allowed this stuff because I'm human, but I'm not allowed to take those moments and expand them farther than they need to be expanded because that's my responsibility. I can't control everything that happens, but I can always control how I respond. And it's not just me. I'm not special. You can too. Everyone can. It's hard. Yes. Easier said than done, but better done than said. It's something I will always say. Two two things about that. One, we're going to do an exercise right now, and I encourage anyone <laughs> listening to do this in your head, and I'm going to do it with you directly. Mm. What are some emotions you get when a flat tire happens? Me personally? Yeah, well, in general. like oh, what, yeah. what do people Stress, usually get? Stress, frustration, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, uncertainty. All of that, and I'm going to say you're a liar. You want to know why? Because when you drive by someone with a flat tire, you don't feel any of that. If you see someone with a flat tire, you're not stressed. You're not uncertain. You just drive by going about your day. You're having a great day because it's not your flat tire. So it's not the flat tire that makes us feel those emotions. It's the fact that it happened to us. Mm. It's not the flat tire. Let's switch flat tire for diabetes. When I ask you, what are some emotions you have about diabetes? Like negative, angry, frustrated. Someone else's diabetes, you don't have those feelings for. It's the fact that it happened to you. So it's not the condition itself. It's the fact that it's happening to you and how you're interpreting. Because if it was the condition, you would feel that way for everyone. You would have those same emotions for everyone, but you don't because it's happening to us. So the fact that we can interpret something for us negatively and for someone else neutrally means we have the ability to distinguish how we're interpreting the emotion. 
So there's the stimulus, diabetes, and then there's the response, how we feel. The larger that space is that we have time to determine how we feel, the more control we have over our condition in our life. So if you want to create more awareness, ask yourself, what do you feel when you think about high blood sugar? What do you feel about low? What do you feel about uh, diabetes? What do you feel about fear of the future? Write it all out. Let it out. But then examine that because diabetes has zero emotion. If you look up what diabetes is, it's an autoimmune disease that affects insulin production. What about that is negative? What about that is fear? What about that is any emotion? We are human. We add the emotion in. And if we're responsible for adding the emotion in, we're also responsible for how much we add it in. Similar to making a recipe, if it calls for a little bit of salt and you put a pound of salt on it, (laughs) it's probably going to taste bad. And that's what happens with people's lives is, yes, I get there is an element of emotion to these conditions that we struggle with. But if you add too much salt, your whole life is going to be salty. Like it's just, it's too much. So I I use a a diagram and maybe you can post it up. Um, It's from my book and it's a triangle. And at each point there's a word. So it's catch, challenge, change. And this is a concept I use constantly. Say you go, you have a high blood sugar. What's some immediate like knee-jerk reactions? You see a high blood sugar. Let's say 240, you know? I'm incredibly pissed off. <laughs> yeah, right there. Cool. Catch that. You're pissed yeah. off. Why are you pissed off? It's not what you want it to be. Okay, can you fix it? Absolutely. Will you fix it? Yes. Can you learn something from it? Possibly. Great. You caught that feeling. Challenge it. You're pissed off, but does being pissed off help you? If anything, let's say it releases cortisol, makes you higher, and now you're insulin resistant. Now you have to take more <laughs> insulin. You just made it worse, you know? Of course. You had a flat tire and you started to set the car on fire. So let's not set the car on fire. Let's challenge that and be like, okay, I'm frustrated. That's okay. But what can I do right now to make it better? Catch, challenge, then change. Listen, yes, I was frustrated, but it happened. It's not a reflection of me. It's not a reflection of me being a bad diabetic. It's just a moment in time that I will correct and fix. There's no reason to add more fuel to the fire. There's no reason to take that moment, that one blood sugar, and say, oh, but what happens if I have more blood sugars, then it's going to affect me and I'm going to get complications that I'm never going to see my daughter grow up and Mm. get married. And then she's going to have trauma for the rest of her life. So when she has kids, you're like, holy shit, I just told a a hundred year story in the future (laughs) based on one blood sugar that I just needed to take four units for. Which one does you better? Which one? You're responsible for both stories. And if you're responsible for both stories, why not choose the one that puts you in a better mental position and a better position to take action to have a better day? You know, easier said than done. Yes, but better done than said. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to hear that perspective of it because it's it's one that I think about in a similar way in the sense that <clears throat> I call it awareness, anticipation, action. And basically, it's like the awareness of what has happened why has it happened? Anticipation is if it happens again or what led to it initially, can I expect it to happen again? Like a high blood sugar, low blood sugar. And then when you can anticipate and expect a high or low and you have the awareness of how it had happened in the past, you can take action to avoid it as frequently in the future. It's more practical in terms of like the physical management of things as opposed to yours is more kind of like the the psychological Mental. approach, which both are important. But what you were saying about 
what does this mean for 40 years, 50 years down the line? I'm not going to see my kids grow up, whatever it might be. And the way I look at it is like, it's never the high blood sugar itself that annoys you. Yes, you may feel uncomfortable. I don't like the feeling physically with a really high blood sugar, but it's always what you associate with that high blood sugar. It's always what that actually means to you rather than just the high blood sugar itself. It's funny because what it means to you is what you've conditioned Mm -hmm. or unmanaged your feelings. And this is uh, the lack of a decision is still a decision. The lack of a response is still a response. So in not managing your mental health, you're still choosing to manage your mental health just in a negative way. The lack of a choice is still a choice. Mm. People are like, but I didn't do anything. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So what did you do? Nothing. That is actually what you did is nothing. So if you leave things unmanaged, what would happen if you didn't manage your diabetes? You'd have some pretty negative responses. But why don't we... We are so on top of it. We have tech. We have like, I want to know what my blood sugar is at all times. I'm going to check my blood sugar extra. I'm in a diabetes group. I'm listening to a diabetes podcast. You know, (laughs) I bought a diabetes t-shirt. Like, damn, you are committed to this. What about your mental health? What are you doing there? We manage our condition as much as possible and we educate ourselves. But with mental health, because it doesn't go high or low on a CGM, we don't manage it. And when we don't manage it, things go astray. And when things mess up, we wonder why we aren't happy. Because I promise you, there are people with A1Cs of five that are still unhappy. Because proper mental health is not based on diabetes management alone. You can have abs, money, and perfect blood sugars and still be depressed. Mm. There is still a responsibility to do something for yourself mentally. And that's why I talk about it. Because... People like you help people manage diabetes and improve their diabetes so much. In New York, I was even asking you questions about like what you thought about my specific situation. I respect the hell of what you do for diabetes conditions. I want people to add to that and say, hey, don't forget diabetes management is one part of the equation. Life management is the other part. Hmm. You know, you still need to invest and promote proper mental health within yourself. You need still need to validate those feelings, intrusive thoughts, all that stuff. And you still need to work on that. The problem is we don't have measurements like direct measurements, like numbers or communities that are as supportive because we think of mental health as a vitamin. And we think of diabetes management as a painkiller and people are quick to cancel the vitamins, but keep the painkillers, you know? So I really try and encourage people to live a better quality of life through better narratives because that manifests in everything from better blood sugars to more happiness, to being appreciative of being alive and not just surviving. Hmm. Do you feel, Chris, that, I don't want to use the word neglect, but for lack of a better word, do you feel people neglect their mental health more than, let's say, their physical health in certain situations because there's less immediate evidence of the impact of it? And what I mean by that is, People may take a more proactive approach towards managing their blood sugar because they see their graph on their phone or they see their graph when they finger prick test. And it's like, boom, that's the evidence right there. You're either high, you're either low. 
and it's it's right in front of you. Whereas when it comes to us managing how we feel or managing our decision making or managing, you know, our perspective on things, it's almost intangible compared to the evidence with a blood sugar. So do you feel that has an impact on how people process it or even the attention that people give it? I think it's multifaceted for sure. So there are definitely people who are going to listen to this and be like, this is whack. This is embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. Like this mental health dumb. I just want to manage my blood sugar. I'm good. I'm strong. I'm a man. I'm a strong woman. You know, part of it is society. Part of it is the stigma behind mental health and vulnerability being perceived as weakness. If let's be real, you hear a person like, oh, I'm going to therapy. You think, oh, something's wrong. Something's broken. They're, they need help you know, but you see someone say, I'm controlling my diabetes. They're like, hell yeah, great job. You go. Mm. We've kind of left mental health by the wayside and we don't realize that it has contributed to so many other problems. Like in diabetes management, it does contribute to blood sugar control, thinking about cortisol response and counter regulatory hormones that get affected by Mm. depression, anxiety, and all that. Uh, Indirect methods would be, you know, if you are, uh, not managing your mental health properly, you're probably not managing a lot of other elements in your life, which can affect diabetes indirectly or directly, um, leading cause of suicide. You know, there are, there are so many negative effects of mental health that is, for some reason, we still don't take it seriously. Men, stigma, if a man needs therapy or talks about their feelings, they're not as strong. You know, we need to get rid of the stigmas. We need to get rid of all of the stuff. And we have to value mental health just as we do physical health, you know? It's crazy that the number one goal for people in their New Year's resolution is to go to the gym, but no one has a New Year's resolution to promote their mental health. And I'm sure there are people who do that, but in terms of like normalcy, that's why is that not a top three goal? When we've seen an increase in depression or reported self-depression year after year, why is that not a thing? We see it growing. We see the problem getting bigger and bigger, but we turn we turn our, our backs to that. And I think because it's not sexy, you know, it's not tangible. It's, it's, there's so many stigmas behind it. And it frustrates me because that's part of what I love to speak about is seeing someone. And I don't know if you've ever had that. Have you ever had a moment where you're like, your mental health just wasn't there? You know, your quality of life is so much different when your mental health isn't there versus when it's being more managed and more focused on. Yeah, well, I even think, now, thankfully, I've never had like a severe bout of, of any sort of mental health issues, but I even related to just like being in bad humor. The way I look at it, it's like our mood, our energy, our performance can so easily fluctuate, much like our blood sugar does. And it's like on days where you feel terrible <laughs> mentally, you're just in fell humor or you're upset about something or whatever it is. Even though physically your daily routine may be exactly the same, because you're looking at it through a completely different lens mentally, everything else is just completely different. And you touched on it there. It's like if you're not in a good place mentally or emotionally, it's very difficult to continue to be consistent and continue to be in a good place with the physical sides of things too. Because it's like if I'm not in the mood to manage my diabetes or I'm pissed off or frustrated or upset about something unrelated to it, but it affects how I feel mentally. The last thing in the world somebody wants to do 
is check their blood sugar. The last thing in the world somebody wants to do is go to the gym or eat good quality food. All these different things that physically have an impact. Um, I like I like relating it to like real life topics. So mm. if you saw that your bank account was draining faster than you were putting money in, you'd have to be like, okay, what what is draining my account so fast? At a certain point, I'm going to have no money left. You see, okay, it's diabetes. It's it's you know all of these things, and it's mental health. So you start getting in check the diabetes and maybe you're focusing on your physical health. The mental health is still draining your account. And it's a subscription that you're not going to cancel, but you're not going to use. And the problem is with mental drain, you only have so much to spend in terms of energy focus. You know, Diabetes is already exhausting. Mm. If you are allowing something to go unmanaged and drain you mentally, you're giving yourself much less energy to be able to put towards your diabetes management, let alone the rest of your life. Because after your blood sugars are good, what now? Are you going to enjoy your life? Are, in, in 40 years, you're going to be like, thank God my diabetes was managed. And you're like, yeah, but what about your life? Definitely managed my diabetes. Okay, <laughs> but like, did you, get, did you get everything you wanted out of life? Well, I managed my diabetes. And it's like, I'm not saying don't manage diabetes. I'm saying manage your life too. Manage the things that are taking from you and don't put them under the rug mm. because it grows. And I don't know if you've ever seen like an elephant under a rug, but it stands out pretty damn hard, <laughs> you know? So like get, get that. You, you have to focus on that. And people pretend like it's not a problem. I saw a funny story where a guy like uh, got this like baby tiger and he was like, oh, it's okay. And everyone's like, bro, that's like dangerous. Don't. Don't have a tiger like in your apartment, you know, and he's like feeding the tiger. It's growing and everyone's like, bro, it's getting big. Like it's scary. He's like, no, 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 it's good. Trust me. I got this. I got it under control. Tiger gets huge. And he's like, oh, I got this. I got this. And then like one day his buddy calls him and he doesn't answer. He's like, all right, he just goes over, opens the door. And like the tiger had, had killed him, you know, and it's, it's what people do. People pretend like this problem isn't a problem. They do it with diabetes. They do it with mental health. It's not, it's fine. It's just, I'm high. I have a high blood sugar. It's, it's okay right now. A month goes by, a year goes by, five years go by, 30 years go by of that one high blood sugar repeated 30 years over time mm. becomes that tiger and ends up affecting you negatively when everyone knew it was a problem, but you swept it under the rug. You said, no, 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 it'll be fine. It won't be fine. The chronic effect of unmanaged things in your life will take you, whether, whether it kills you literally or will kill you as a person, it can negatively affect you. Don't leave things unmanaged. Don't leave things unsaid. Don't leave things undone. Manage. Everyone listening right now knows what, what they need to do. Mm. Everyone listening is like, oh, that thing that I keep sweeping under the rug, maybe I should. And they're like, no, 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 no. Bring it back. Bring it out of the rug. Fo like really focus on that. Because if not, that thing might not hurt you today. It might not hurt you tomorrow. But that drain over time changes you as a person. Mm. Was there something that you had kept Sweeping under the rug, Chris. Yeah. So the, it was it was hiding my disability. And I did that for 17 years to the point where it was an identity and it was all I knew. And I was a shapeshifter. I was literally the person who I just, I wanted to be perceived as cool. I wanted to be perceived as accepted. I wanted to be perceived as so many things except who I was because I didn't know who I was. My identity revolved around hiding my disability so much that I, I seemed confident and I wasn't even when I met you for the first time, you know, like I 
struggled so hard with sweeping things under the rug that my whole life existed under that rug. And I've seen people do it with their diabetes, you know, whether you try and pretend to be outgoing and having fun, Robin Williams, perfect example, seemed like the happiest person in the world. Hmm. Or whether you change your whole life to kind of hide something. The day I started living is the day I started going to therapy and realizing uh, this was a hard hitting point. I've never said this like in a public format. I went to a therapist and uh, I told her, I was like, you know, everyone loves me. I go on stage and everyone's there to like listen to me and everyone like engages me on social media and like people repost me. They just love me. And this lady, I swear to God, she wrecked me. She was like, they don't love you. They love the fake persona that you built. They don't know you because you don't know you. I was like, damn. It was like that moment. It was a few years ago, like three or four years ago where I was like, damn, I've been building something that I thought people wanted, but in reality, like, it's not who I am. So I needed to be like who I was and I need to stop hiding. I needed to become myself and accept like, I have diabetes, I have a disability, but I am not a diabetic, you know, in the sense, like, I just have diabetes. I, I have a person with a disability, but my name's Chris. I'm not disabled. I'm not diabetic. I'm just Chris. And it took me a long time to learn that because I was so committed to a narrative of if I if I allow what is going on with me to be perceived in a negative way, then that's going to be bad. I told myself a story. I added too much salt, you know, and I became that. So I think it's really important to understand everyone goes through struggles, but those struggles are meant to be gone through, not uh, added to your personality. Hmm. I appreciate you being so open and honest about it, Chris. Um, And even on that, like from that day, that seemed to be quite a defining moment or even a turning point in terms of how you felt about yourself and the relationship that you had with your disability up to that point. Was it almost like an immediate reaction in terms of how you changed something? Or like when you walked out that day, what changed or, or what what adjustments did you make to your life or was it just purely a way of of thinking that you had never thought about? That was part one of this episode. If you are listening to this on the day of the release, part two will be out tomorrow. But if you're listening on any other day, part two is the next episode on our list.